glad you're here. We're back in space for another episode in Season 7 and a conversation on summer blockbusters. We definitely ramped up the summer action flick vibe last episode with a conversation on Independence Day, so I thought it best to just keep that energy going, but add more ridiculous explosions and a plot even more unbelievable than aliens invading the Earth. Today we're talking about Armageddon. Now, it's definitely not a requirement for a summer flick to make you cry. In fact, I kind of prefer not to cry like that during the summer. I like to get all of my tears out in the fall and the winter. (laughs) There's just too much vitamin D to cry in July, which is not a scientific point, just a personal observation that I consistently fail at. But occasionally something will pull at the right heartstrings and leave me sobbing. Spoiler, Harry doesn't make it until the end of this movie, and the father-slash-daughter-slash-maybe-son-in-law dynamic just guts me every time. Every time. How is that possible? When you know what's coming, you're prepared, and yet you just can't hold back the tears. Usually it's sports movies. I'm a sucker for an underdog movie. Come on. I mean, I don't think you have a heart if you don't cry when Rudy finally gets in the game, and especially if you don't cry every single time, or something like, it's really the parent dynamic, something like P.S. I Love You, when Hilary Swank, who has lost her husband, and she's kind of going on this journey to try to find herself and what life's going to be like without him, she gets really upset and she ends up going to run to find her mother because that's who she needs to comfort her in that moment. (sighs) I remember just like, uncontrollably sobbing in the middle of the movie theater. And for some reason, Armageddon, when they leave Harry on the asteroid. Spoiler, I'm sorry. And full disclosure, I have many a time used a movie or movie scene to force a good cry. Have you done that? Am I the only one that does that? I mean, when I get tense or stressed and especially stubborn and don't want to emote what is directly making me tense or stressed, I'll put on one of those movies that forces me to cry so I can get out that nervous energy and still completely ignore my feelings. Terribly unhealthy, but also helpful. So that that leads us to our conversation on Armageddon. It's directed by Michael Bay. So this is the first Michael Bay film we'll be discussing. There's one more on the list. That should tell you everything you need to know about this particular movie. Over-the-top action sequences, multiple explosions, But Bay is kind of the definition of a fun summer blockbuster. Side note, he has a ridiculous smirk on his face in his IMDb page, so please look that up and (laughs) see if you agree with me. Apparently, along with directing films like Transformers, that's the other one we're going to be talking about, Pearl Harbor, Bad Boys, The Rock, and potentially an upcoming movie called Robopocalypse. Yeah, he has... (laughs) He has also created, this is great, he's also created music videos for Tina Turner, Meatloaf, Lionel Richie, Wilson Phillips, and Donnie Osmond. How does that happen? How how do you get in front of that particular group of people? I just love it when you just throw out names, you know, like, how are these things connected? And they shouldn't be, but somehow they are, even if it's just a roundabout sort of way. It was written by... Jonathan Hensley and J.J. Abrams. What? Hensley also worked on the screenplays for A Far Off Place, which I love that movie. Um, Ethan Embry and Reese Witherspoon, they they are forced to cross the Kalahari Desert uh, because of poaching. And it's just, it's a really good Disney film. I think one that's not talked about too much. 
The Saint with Val Kilmer. Is it a good movie? No, it is not. Do I love it so completely and watch it often? Yes. Yes, I do. And Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Now, this is one that I was hesitant to watch. Uh, I, I enjoyed the original with Robin Williams and Bonnie Hunt. Oh, Bonnie Hunt. Love her. But I was like, what, what are they doing here? What is this? I love at least the first one that came back. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. I love that movie. I think the humor is fantastic. They kept it clean but edgy, which is kind of hard to do to kind of walk that fine line between what will kids find amusing and what will adults find entertaining. Uh, so they do, I just, it's an excellent, maybe one day we'll talk about that one. But as much as I love those three particular movies that Hensley worked with, the filmography for J.J. Abrams is just it's phenomenal. One day we'll have to talk about why I love and don't love Abrams. I have not loved everything he does. I think there's some lazy, problematic storytelling that goes on in some of his movies. But there's also a passion and reverence for intellectual intellectual property that is beloved by millions. And I think that's what I appreciate so much. But of course, on his IMDb, you have Regarding Henry, Forever Young, the TV shows Felicity and Lost. Oh, loved Lost. I was a big Lost fan. Loved theorizing every week about what was actually going on. Mission Impossible 2, which is one of my favorites of the series. Super 8, which is one of those kind of, it, it's almost Steven Spielberg-esque when you take a group of kids who are battling something big and they are going through that, um, you know, buildings room and they are, they're growing. It's that that hero's journey, uh, but then also this love of filmmaking, which is fascinating. And of course, he worked with Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and The Rise of Skywalker. Just not too shabby. He's done a lot of great writing out there, too. Or he's worked in a lot of um, interesting properties. I'm going to change that a little bit. Armageddon came out, though, on July 1st, 1998. It has a few familiar faces in it. Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler, Steve Buscemi, Owen Wilson, and one of my favorite audiobook readers of all time, Will Patton. If you have not read the Raven Boys series uh, by Maggie Stiefvater, Will Patton reads it. He is fantastic at, at, in that, um, and I have loved every. I like. I will go out and hunt for audiobooks read by Will Patton because I enjoy them so much. What else came out that summer? Uh, Armageddon competed against The Truman Show. Very good movie. Can't hardly wait. Not a good movie, but I loved it anyway, and I quote it quite often. <laughs> Disney's Mulan, Out of Sight, and I do believe that had George Clooney in it. Lethal Weapon 4. There's something about Mary, The Mask of Zorro. Another fun movie. That's a great summer summer blockbuster. Just pure fun adventure entertainment. Saving Private Ryan. Not fun. Good, but just not a fun movie. Ever After. Oh, Ever After. The retelling of Cinderella with Drew Barrymore. Fantastic. Snake Eyes with Nicolas Cage and the movie Blade. Uh, so it was, again, another weird kind of summer. I don't know why it always... I find it so amusing when I do that particular part of these lists because it's not like there's going to be a theme and they're all going to kind of be the same kind of movie. But when you have stuff on just so scattered of interest, it's it's interesting. Um, and and I've I've loved most of the movies that I you know that I've listed in some it, whether it's like the first viewing, it's really good and really fun, and I haven't gone back to watch it again, or it's one that I watch all the time, like Ever After. 
The budget for Armageddon was estimated at $140 million. It only made $36 million in the States on its opening weekend, which wasn't great, but would go on to gross over $201 million domestically and $553 million worldwide. It was the highest grossing film in 1998. So that leads to the summary. What is this one about? In case you haven't seen it. I'm assuming you have, but just in case you haven't, it starts out with Charlton Heston, who does some very unneeded exposition about asteroids and the dinosaurs to lead up to the plot that the world is about to face a similar fate once again. An asteroid is headed toward the earth. It's like 18 days out or something. And unless it can be deflected in some manner, complete annihilation, the planet's going to be destroyed. So according to NASA in some really bad science, if the asteroid can split in two, the force of the division would send the two pieces kind of careening around the planet, saving humankind. But in order to split an asteroid, you need to know how to drill into the middle of it and stick a bomb. (laughs) And that's not a skill that the average astronaut possesses. So who is going to save the earth? Well, they land on what, who is considered one of the best oil drillers ever, or in currently in existence. I I don't know. He's famous for drilling? I don't know. So it ends up being a bunch of roughneck oil drillers led by Harry Stamper, who is played by Bruce Willis. Uh, They are kind of considered the best of the best. There's never been a depth that Harry has aimed for that he hasn't been able to hit. So Harry and his crew are recruited to to travel to the asteroid, you did hear that correctly, to drill 800 feet, at which time a nuclear bomb will be detonated. They'll shoot it down into this hole. It will be detonated, and that will force the asteroid to split into two pieces. And they really are a motley crew. You have Steve Buscemi, Owen Wilson, Ben Affleck, Michael Clark Duncan, Will Patton, not the dream team, and they're being led by a a level-headed and compassionate fella at NASA, which is unexpected, especially in the guise of Billy Bob Thornton. But he's he's this really kind of just calm, um, quiet, compassionate guy who had really wanted to be an astronaut at one time, and it didn't work out because he'd had an injury. So then we get a montage. That's kind of a big part of the movie is the montage. We're forced to sit through, uh, you know, getting these guys trained. They are going to go up with actual astronauts, but they have to get ready to work in space. We also have to sit through um, some unfortunate romantic moments between Harry's daughter, Grace, played by Liv Tyler, and the youngest and arrogant oil driller named AJ, played by Ben Affleck. These scenes are truly truly cringy. They remind me a lot of the Star Wars prequels with the scenes between Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen. The dialogue, whew, needs some work and needed some work. (laughs) So we have all these montages, our drillers are getting ready, and then finally they have to launch because there's no time. So two teams go up. Uh, They think it's best, let's send two different ships up in case something happens to one, we still have the spare. Um, So they they launch into space. The guys are excited to kind of experience weightlessness. Uh, And they end up having to stop at a a Russian space station to refuel so that they have enough fuel to get to the asteroid. While they're there, um, there's been a a cosmonaut on there who has been there a year or like 18 months by himself. So he's a little crazy. And something happens and a spark ignites the fuel um, and the whole space station explodes. But everyone is able to get out in time, including much to 
to my delight, the Russian cosmonaut played by Lev, named Lev, played by um, Peter Stormore. He's he's in a lot. You might know him from different things. (laughs) But as they approach the asteroid, then one of the ships is damaged by debris and crashes. Everyone is believed to be dead. The other ship uh, lands kind of further than away than they're supposed to be. It's not the the terrain, the um, the makeup of the the asteroid at that particular spot is not ideal. But they get to drilling anyway, and it's tough going. It's slow work, and that quickly starts to damage all of the equipment. So Harry's not going to give up. He's still trying to go on. The captain of the ship kind of freaks out and decides to initiate Plan B, which is to just detonate the nuclear weapon on the surface of the asteroid and kind of hope for the best. But Harry talks him down. He says, no, I need you to trust me. I can do this. I've never let anybody down. Um, And he promises that he won't fail. So they start digging again drilling and um just when all hope seems lost because they've I don't I don't understand engineering or mechanical things but the last of some part of the drill the last one they have has has been damaged and so they think all hope is lost but that's when of course they discover that not everybody on that second ship died in the crash there's still a few people left in a transport ma- vehicle that have made their way to where this other ship is located. And so that's AJ played by Affleck, the cosmonaut and Michael Clark Duncan known as bear in the movie. They managed to survive. We did have to say goodbye to Owen Wilson, which was not sad at all. (laughs) And so they're able to reach the designated depth, um, like 800 feet within minutes to spare. It's ha ha. They came, they saved the day and they go. So then they go to launch the weapon, the, the nuclear weapon and the detonator is damaged and they realize that it has to be done manually. So they decide to draw straws to see who is going to stay on the asteroid and meet certain death and who is going to go home. AJ actually loses. He draws the short straw and Harry's like, well, I'm going to take him down there. They're going to say their goodbyes. But at the last minute, Harry shoves AJ back into the ship and makes him promise to take care of Grace, his daughter. Cue tears. Uh, It's just... It's a lot because Affleck is crying and saying, I love you. And Bruce Willis is being stoic as Harry. And it's just, it's a lot. It's a very touching, sweet moment because he even tells AJ, who he kind of fights with throughout the whole movie, that he had always thought of him as a son. So then cue tears again. Credit a wedding montage letting us know that the earth and love has been saved. And that's Armageddon. I would say this movie didn't hold up, but it never really worked (laughs) to begin with. It's horrible. And yet in its horribleness, it's still entertaining. It's the roughnecks and their relationships that are amusing. They're idiots, but they are also good men. And I know it's a movie, but a story about, and we talked about this a little in the last episode, a story about regular people who do extraordinary things and sacrifice for the greater good. I mean, it just, it gets me every time. They didn't have to go to that asteroid. They didn't have to risk their lives. They didn't have to leave their families at the end of the world. But they did it because hope is a very powerful thing. Uh, But in this movie, this plot, the execution of storytelling is still, it's dumb. Which leads us to the question of whether or not I would survive in this movie. Well, technically, no one would survive Armageddon. by definition alone. In this movie, though, another maybe, because it's looking again like middle America is safe from both alien attacks and asteroid debris. 
just the big cities get destroyed. Rest in peace, Paris. There are several moments within the movie, however, that it's very likely I would have met my demise. For instance, anything to do with the drilling. It looks like tough work. Lots of mechanics, lots of engineering, lots of moving parts, lots of timing and technique, almost a rhythm to it, and being able to intuit when something isn't working or the whole rig is going to explode. Well, I'm sure it's a learned skill, it also looks very dangerous, and I haven't even made it out of librarianship unscathed. So that's there's a good chance on the rig I would be dead. Then the training with NASA to simulate weightlessness and drilling in space. They have the crew working underwater. I would most definitely panic, hyperventilate, and drown. Uh, or in space, I would panic, hyperventilate, not drown, but just die of fear, <laughs> curl up into a fetal position, unable to complete my task, and die on the asteroid that then just crashes into Earth. So that's, that's, you know, those are a few times I would have, I would have died after running through this exercise a few times. Now, I feel like I'm coming across pessimistically about my ability to keep myself alive. I've done fairly well the last 40 years of my life, but it's not been easy. And while I think, nay, I know, I know I have the intelligence to stay alive. I'm not as certain about the execution. Uh, for example, like, I compare it to in high school. I played sports, basketball and soccer. I was not particularly skilled at either, but I tried really hard. I was also incredibly coachable. I listened, I practiced, and I always, always knew exactly where on the court or field I was supposed to be at any particular moment. And I would get there when I was supposed to be there. But when the ball came to me, it was another, anyone's guess what would actually happen. That's was the part I always struggled with, the execution of the skill. And that's how I feel about my chances of survival in tense situations. I know what I needed to do to survive, but the ability to do said thing, it'd be a crapshoot. Would it happen? Would it not? But should the characters have survived in this movie? I'm just going to be honest with you. The characters they would not have made it. They would not have made it. You cannot train unlearned men to be astronauts in just two weeks. You cannot expect them to maintain the mental fortitude needed to undertake such an endeavor in just two weeks, which they proved when Steve Buscemi starts to ride the nuclear bomb like a horse instead of drilling while on the asteroid. The science is stupid. And the asteroid would most definitely have destroyed the Earth. The remaining ship that just sat in an unstable environment on the asteroid, getting struck by debris and then launched back into space like three minutes before the detonation of the bomb, would not have gotten far enough away to survive. And no one is that good of a pilot to, to navigate through the debris in one piece. And yet they do survive, which means this is most definitely a summer blockbuster. Very rarely, though, do you see them kill off a main character or a beloved character. So, it, I, I mean, at least they did that. A few interesting tidbits about the movie. According to IMDb, NASA shows the film during their management training program. New managers are given the task of trying to spot as many errors as possible. At least 168 have been found. I think that's brilliant. Way to use pop culture to teach lessons. I love it, NASA. You go. Regarding the film's premise, Affleck asked director Michael Bay, wouldn't it be easier for NASA to train astronauts how to drill rather than training drillers to be astronauts? Bay told Affleck to shut up. <laughs> 
That was the end of the conversation. Shut up. In the scene where the drillers bring their demands to NASA, so they have not officially agreed to go on this journey. They decide, hey, we'll do this, but we want our demands met. Bay had the actors write their own list, and that's what Bruce Willis Bruce Willis's Harry reads in that scene is the ones that the actors actually came up with, which I do love. Due to the film's fast pace and quick style editing, Roger Ebert called it the first 150-minute trailer. I take it he hated it. I know he hated it. And finally, Bay has been quoted as saying, Now, I know there's no fire in space, but it's a movie, and most people don't know that. As Affleck remembers, even with all the high-tech equipment on set, the weightlessness in most scenes was very low-tech. Bay would fix the camera and have his actors act as if they were weightless. Affleck describes it as kind of a bouncing around, but he wasn't particularly good at it, and Bay couldn't figure out why they hadn't taught Affleck this particular skill in acting school. One consensus in a lot of the interesting tidbits is that the movie the movie is bad. Critics hated it, especially Roger Ebert. And most of the actors were lu- lukewarm about the experience as well. And yet it was the highest grossing movie of 1998. And I think that's a definite testimony to the fact that moviegoers and pop culture lovers, they just want to be entertained. The science doesn't need to make sense. Just watch any time travel movie and you'll feel that way. The plot doesn't have to be believable. If the characters are relatively likable and things are blowing up and the good guys win at the end, that's enough. And and that maybe is the best definition of a summer blockbuster. But that is it for today. Next episode, we're stepping away from outer space and heading to the seven seas with Pirates of the Caribbean. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who really doesn't know what they're talking about but has a whole lot of fun doing it anyway, well, they can join the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I will see you next time.